how did you guys get into racing? Oh yeah, um, so I just started, uh, well the reason I got into racing was when, at a young age I just went to a, a rental car track, you know, like anyone and anyone can do. Um, just went there, enjoyed it, kind of came home from that experience and was like, oh I want to try and do it a bit more and before you know it, I ended up at a professional karting circuit, got my first go-kart, and that was it from there really, progressed through the ranks of, of junior karting in England, then moved on to European. Um, onto the European stage and then into cars and you know you work your way up the ladder up the ladder up the ladder until to where we are today being a professional driver for Lexus so yeah quite a journey I'm sure Jack's quite similar but it's a, it's a very enjoyable path you know you experience a lot and for a young kid it's extremely really rewarding. Yeah similarly I uh, I mean I, my dad was always into bikes and stuff like that motorcycles sold them and uh, he always rode so I was a young age I was kind of exposed to that Ripping around on that, and then uh, I think it's about 11, 12, kind of same story. Then went to a go kart track, a go kart track, really enjoyed it. Uh, and then suddenly then I was just kind of engrossed in it, reading magazines, and just looking on the internet, and then all that kind of stuff. So then eventually my old man uh, bought me a go kart and started racing at a local club called Runwell, which is actually where Ben started as well in uh, Ardley, South Yorkshire. And, uh, yeah, I heard like you guys like grew up like an hour away from each other. Yeah, it's yeah. your first time racing, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, how is that? For what what type of experience is that for you guys? Well, I mean, you know, we we get on very well as teammates. You know, we don't we don't argue, but so we might not be like we we get on well. And I think a lot of that's because even though Jack and I didn't, we knew of each other, but we didn't actually we never come into connection until the end of last season when this program was kind of happening. But having that, you know, we went through literally the same upbringing. Started at the same go kart track that I was, yeah, I was a bit younger. We you know we kind of went through the same journey and we had the same tools and you know etc. along the way and similar personnel working with us. So I think that you know is is why we gelled and you know we pushed each other so well and it's working great for this Lexus program right now. So it's a it's it's random how it happens, but it's it's a very cool kind of story at the same time. Yeah, I don't know if there's that many teams which went around like an old British lineup in IMSA. Never mind an old kind of like. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I guess I'm just surprised like you guys didn't like when you guys are racing younger, you did you guys like know about each other or anything like that? Like as in like yeah. well, I mean I always knew Jack. Jack's a few years older than me, so I think my Jack's thirty one. Okay. So I was kind of always in his footsteps kind of thing. So I was probably but then I think, you know, especially when you become into a more professional league, you know, like Jack was racing in IndyCar and I was in junior single seasons at the time, you always know who all the good and successful British drivers are, right? And you always keep an eye on them. It's only like you guys probably look at American athletes competing overseas and you know you have an interest in that. So I think you'll kind of always know each other and that, you know, you have respect that they're good people, which is, you know, and good drivers are great talent. So it's kind of when you get to put those together in a joint car and push similar things. So also as well, like we weren't racing at such a bit of an age difference. Yeah. Say I'm six years older than Ben, but uh, we would be at the same car meets. Like, I didn't know Ben personally, but like uh, you know, quite often these car meets you have several different classes. You have like a cadet class, junior class, you know, several junior classes, several senior classes. So you know, it might have been a time when I'd have been there racing the juniors, and then 
Yeah, yeah. yeah right. So then I would go watch the cadets and stuff, and you could learn from the guys that are still playing the ones who have not been in the front. So I always knew if Ben always played for me. Yeah. So this is the first year in pro for Lexus. Uh, you had the two-car operation switch split between the two. So now you are in a GT3 type car and kind of a unique one from what I can tell from construction of the other cars. And you're racing against this GTLM type car in the Corvette. And the Corvette's built much more like a traditional race car, much more ground up. The balance of performance has been strange at best with that car. The first two races completely off at Daytona and then all of a sudden Sebring, it's the most competitive car in the field. Is it different racing against a car that's not quite of the same build and the same class, or is that not something you're really worried about? I mean, it's hard, I think, for the series to understand how the cars would work, like, like you say, built to a different set of regulations than what GT3 cars do. I mean, at Daytona, they weren't slow, though. Once the race started, they, they were running in the path, they didn't get issued, right? So, yes, they were not fast in practice, but they were fast in practice either at Sebring. as a new Evo this year too. same competition, but getting that bigger spotlight, getting the, a little bit more attention on the broadcasts, and I guess I'm realizing now you were not watching the video. <laughs> uh, is that kind of changed the way that you approach the season, or is it just the same old competition with a new decal on the side? No, I'd say, obviously, it's my first year in IMSA, but, you know, obviously, being with the team there, they're introducing me to all the new rules and regulations. Taking that step from GTD to GTD Pro, although the, the main difference is just the driver language, 
you know, that changes the strategy massively because in UTD you have to well, lock folks into your silver you know, amateur driver because they're the ones who are qualifying, they're the ones who are starting the races. Whereas now we're in a very lucky position where, you know, me and Jack are two pros at the top of our game. You know, we can switch, change that, uh, that strategy, whatever we want. You know, there, there'll be tracks where, you know, like say this weekend, for example, like, you know, Jack's been here before and for the first time and the street race track position is quite, quite key. You know, so we decided to qualify and start Jack and get as high as three as possible. And then at the next races, you know, that's the Miami Trail where I'm slightly quicker than Jack. You know, we're in that, we've got that um, freedom to, to be able to play that game. Because in UTD, you've got to put a lot more focus into your amateur driver, which then can sometimes, you know, hinder the, the rest of your program slightly. So, uh, you know, that would be the biggest thing, I'd say, from our side, other than, you know, the, the obvious extras and the, the TV time being the top tier as well. Yeah, yeah, and a couple of more points on Chris and Jack and starting the driver, you can qualify either driver and that's the difference. Also, rely on the driver being a bit more experienced than both drivers, so you can work through set up lines with both drivers. Not just you know, Copper having uh, not a lot of these GTD drivers have super experienced drivers. Like you know, Copper having a guy who doesn't really want to do too much set up work with him because you know, how do you know? You know, you might not want to, you might not develop the car, and whatever it may be. Um, like Ben said, for me, I was starting my first race in eight and five years. This is, that's different for me, right? And that's the last, you know, four years. Uh, I've you know, never started, I've always been doing seven stints. And today, you know, starting a race is different. I like, you know, it's fun. Like you say, it's, it's what I've always wanted out of the GTD was to be full pro and start it. So, yeah, give you more options for you. So, GTD Pro, in particular during Daytona, when you have a few more drivers joining the grid, but really every race. You have drivers from very different backgrounds. Like, say, you came directly from open wheels into GT cars. And you've got these Porsche factory drivers. You've got guys who have been in prototypes only coming down to GT this year. you got some guys that are coming from GT only leaving for prototypes next year. And then I think Kyle Kirkwood is in your car at Daytona. Obviously, he's been flexed for a few years, but he's a full-time IndyCar driver now. Do you see stylistic differences in those drivers? Is that something you're worried about when you're seeing people car ahead of you? Or is that just... I think thing, I guess, with... I mean, obviously, everyone has... You know, different. Drivers carry on slightly different form of action. So, for me, you know, in terms of how you race these guys, I guess the only thing which might be different is, is you know, especially in the George race. Today, we'll drive different because I would worry about 24 hour race. Right? Like, you're not going to be like this at the start of 24 hour race. So, some of like, but in the sprint race, you might be like, you've got a guy who's coming into a longer race, like the Sebring Daytona, and then coming directly from the sprint series. Mm. Like, Just had uh, my question is a little bit more rudimentary. Um, so I guess for what advice would you guys offer an aspiring race car driver? Um, well, I mean, it depends what their what their aspirations are, and where 
really, you know, it's uh, a lot. It's just you've got to work hard, and if you really want it, never give up, right? And mm. that's the best advice you can give to anyone. And there is a lot of luck involved in racing. Um, Jack and I are both very fortunate at a young age, and that's we have to start young in this game to get that experience, if you will, so that when you get to our age, you kind of you're ready for it. So I'd say start as young as you can, push as hard as you can, and never give up. That's yeah. really down to it, you know, and try and just surround yourself with good people. If you've got good people around you and experienced people, they're going to be able to to piggyback off that you said like what your aspirations are so i guess like what's the end goal for you guys oh, i mean right now you know i'm, I'm very happy to be a great to be a part of the lexington family so it's uh the whole collectors achieve their first hips uh, overall title and be a successful happy for the you know that's it we're, we're here we're racing this is my main program and what i really want to achieve right now i've I've worked hard to just try and jump across the racing into for a few years, and now I'm here, and that's where I want to be successful. Yeah. And then I guess, like, what was, like, the biggest hurdle for you guys to kind of get where you guys are? Um, I guess, you know, when, you, when you're racing, when you're young, you went through the ranks, it's, it's quite a financial struggle. I was very fortunate to have a sponsor called the Racing Step Foundation. So, uh, you know, without that support and that, that foundation and charity, I wouldn't have been able to, to be here today. So, you know, I'll be forever grateful of what they did for me to just give me that step from being a sort of, you know, uh, kid with some potential to a professional driver. So, you know, that, there is always that element of it, which is why you work hard, you know, because if you're coming from nothing, you've got to not only be a good professional crash driver, you've also got to be a businessman to be able to sell yourself to sponsors and, and, and manufacturers. Yeah, I think Everybody looks at the drivers, they're the athlete, right? And they're the guys that stand on the podium. Like, you know, you really, it's such a team sport. And I think it's really important to create a driver. You are part of a big machine, right? And that machine has to work in harmony, right? And the guys in the, the guys in the team, the guys in the horses, the guys in the cars, that each has an equal influence on the results, win or lose, right? You never win a race. Almost like you have to be able to look at the big picture in terms of working with the team and, and uh, getting the best results you can for the team, but also not being too attached to the results of the team and your own performance. That's why you've got to be able to, you know, sometimes you're only going to be good enough to finish 15, right? And then another time, and that might be like perform great, and another time you can win a race and think, you know, okay, I've got to be lucky there, you know what I mean? So being able to so starting the car uh, you're going to be if, with the gcd field here i guess they're the only pro-am class at this race in particular but you're starting a sprint race where there are going to be some silver drivers in the gcd cars so you're going to be racing through having not driven against a lot of those drivers outside of endurance races is that changing your strategy so we're starting, we're starting bits ahead of us, right? Uh, guy who's driving some experience, he's been around a long, long time. It's not like we're starting, we are some new. He hasn't driven a lot, right? He's, he's driven a lot. Um, so it doesn't really change the way I approach it. It'd be nice if we could, it's a sprint race, right? So we know track is important. So regardless of who's, who's ahead of us, who's behind us, really, it's important to start to try to go forward, try to make any, there's going to be opportunistic, and any opportunity you get on track, 
that doesn't really change. If we were starting middle of the GTD field, then that would be different. Then you're around a lot more than, you know, like you say, maybe a little bit less experience. Maybe, you know, like you don't know how to race the whole track. But where we're starting, um, some of GTD enemies. And I've raised that guy a lot before when I see him. This is, uh, I'm not sure, have either of you spent a lot of time in any other GT3 car? Yeah, well, it's my first season driving for Lexus, so this is new to me, I went to the model from. So, the, the Lexus is so strange because it's not quite, I guess the BMW is like this guy too, but it's not quite as big as the Bentley, but it's so much bigger than all the other GT cars, and it's so fundamentally different from, especially the Porsche or the NSX or Lamborghini or anything like that, that's a sports car first, it's a sports sedan converted into a coupe, converted into a GT car. And you have such a, I'm not sure what the weight difference is, but I know it's a little bit more weight and it's a lot more low end torque. Does it change the way the car races? Does it change what tracks it's good at? Does it change how you approach the weekend? Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely changes, you know, I mean, the track tracks, the team are well aware of what, what our strong weak circuits are. So, um, you know, obviously you, you go into those weekends with slightly different mindsets occasionally, but uh, you, every time you go to the track, all we're here to do is the best as we possibly can. And, pick up as many championship points as possible and you know although yes every car is different but our team and our engineers know our car it's always about maximizing that we can't if we're going to a mindset thinking you know oh this is a sports track whatever you know you've lost the point being right so all we ever do is try and maximize our own package i like jackson you know that's why motorsport is such a big big thing you know yes driving can kind of get the right line a bit but there's so many people under us that are always working hard to make sure that when we're at our tracks that we see the old tracks, right? We can maximize those days on the GT circuits. That's what makes a difference at the end of the day. <laughs> and you know, in a championship like this, you need to, you need to do well for the day. Thank you. Thank you. So I wanted, do you guys have any questions or any direction you want to talk about from the program or from the sport or yeah. the customer? Just like the first question, I guess, like, how did you kind of get into like the racing industry? <laughs> just, just want to start off with that. I have other questions. Yeah. yeah. I guess maybe growing up in Weaver, I always had a, always had an affinity for Indy, and you knew every Memorial Day you, you glued at the TV, or if you were lucky, you yeah. out the brickyard to see the race. But aside from that, casual fan of motorsports and twenty years in the field, calling on dealers, when I found out we had a, a GP3 program under development, I'm like, oh, that's easy. And still, at that point, this is 2016, 2015. There wasn't a lot of televised access to the program, so fast forward. 17 and 18, we went and toyed around with another team to try to get the car to work and didn't have a lot of success. We were probably minutes, if not hours, away from creating up everything and just calling it a program and being done. And then in a, in a conversation with Max or with Sullivan, we decided, like, hey, let's give this a shot and really try to put a proper program together. They felt with their IndyCar success, they could, they could take a run in sport car and, and really to try to connect their, their name with ours and, and have a good run. We had success out of the gate in 2019, 2020. Um, we got a lot of people's attention. That's really for us as a brand. We've already built the greatest luxury automobile. That was 31 years ago when Lexus entered this market here. We were making the luxury race. It's the most competitive to build the finest luxury automobile. And all those first LSs are all still on the road. Exactly. Everyone. We were in Escondido at a dealer event, and I saw a first gen. Holy cow, it looked like it was two months old. That, that dealership, I live about two miles from there, by the way. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's made it incredible. They have a restaurant. They have a golf simulator. Uh, they have an LFA that they just keep for people to look at. Yeah, yeah. And so he, the dealer does a great job. During during pandemic, when none of the restaurants were open, 
they shut, they sold the restaurant. That restaurant is the fourth largest number of reservations through open table in the whole county. So it's in a dealership on the far north end of the, of the county. My point is, Lexus, it's not like, hey, we're going to sell you a car, but it's really going to make a relationship. For us, I think that's, that's proven here too with the team. They're a customer team. This year, we also have the factory effort with Lexus. So we have to look at the role. It's very well for as a customer. We serve the whole team with the factory, but really, like our dealer body, when we, when we go to business with somebody, it becomes familial. Same relationship. It makes sense. So, like, Lexus not being recognized as, like, a racing brand, how are you guys trying to change that perspective? Uh, being right here. The, the F-Line, which is our performance division for the brand, it's, a, it's over a, it's over a dozen years old. We're in our 13th year now. And in the early days, man, it's with the badge and the format. Maybe a gear shift on, on some of the early IS and GS products. Then the GS got a V8 and started taking notice. Then the IS came out with the big V8 and the F models arrived. And all of a sudden, we got the attention of a culture of some who were already Lexus owners, some who just love performance that were attracted to that. And just like we discussed a minute ago, they're, I mean, they put everything into their cars because they know that the cars are indestructible. Reliability, QBR, the equivalent of Lexus going for it, it's all there. However, that was just our Lexus culture. People that were Lexus owners know how strong the product is. Even to this day, we had to start racing against some of these brands. Mercedes, BMW, Porsche, they were race cars that didn't want to become luxury cars. They had to if they wanted to survive. And since Ferrari never wanted to build a road-going car, they wanted to build race cars. But we race against all of them now. So we got about a 75-year head start on us. We're trying to catch up and connect the dots. And what I love here, where a team has success on track, hospitality, we do activation. And if the people that we host, they're usually Lexus owners, they're dealers, they're VIPs, they already know what, what the brand is about. The people that are just general race attendees that walk through our activation, even to this day, they don't see that on sale for over four years. We still ask for what car are you? No, you're not already Lexus, they don't know. They see the outstanding it's beautiful. So that effort, now putting four million dollars kind of ad campaign and trying to push a car that's a low value car. That's where we know we're, we're getting cut in and building consideration of brand. That, that's the next point. Or when the viewers and the customers get behind it and they want more, it helps solidify the next generation of GT3 cars, which then bring the other brand up. Viewers are always good for multiple reasons. It's been very helpful for us. The, uh, I know this is the direct exact direction of the next GT3 cars, and this could be quite official or decided yet, but the Toyota concepts that came out about three months ago sure looks like it would make a lot of sense as a Lexus product. Tokyo, the Tokyo Salon concept? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, we're, we're, we're pretty well down the road in, in development. Really excited. We've not yet approved to share a lot of details. The car you saw, it's very striking. It's what we've seen. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be close. The biggest thing is, for the first time, the RCF wasn't built as a GT3 first in mind. It had a, has a great engine. People that wanted to race had engine surrounds, so they, they basically downsized it and took a thousand pounds out of it, a thousand kilos out of it to make it a race car. And it's a bit of a Frankenstein. We didn't have much success with it globally. We had the car, didn't have much success out of the gate, but learned a lot along the way. And then, as we saw, we really shown the enhancements to be able to make it a race car, but also been able to share that with road going development. 
factory control systems, ABS systems, our cars have them, the advances we've made here. Right now, for example, we trace a different without performance. We, we traditionally have not been quick in the straights because we're one of the heaviest cars along with the Merc in the series. However, we're usually really strong, if not the strongest in the form. No way deeper, we come out soon. And that's really the advanced learnings that we've had from the so, like Lexus diving into the racing industry, does it affect the type of cars you guys are currently like manufacturing now? It affects the development of the cars we are planning to manufacture. What's in production now? Yes, absolutely. There is. It helps to have a master driver who owns the company, an Akio Toyota, and and the, the president of the overall of Lexus Global, Koji Sato. They're both racers, and they're not in the office or in the design studio working closely with development. They're on the plane on the weekends flying to different tracks. They're at races almost every single weekend, doing super formula stuff, including the Japanese car, um, and some of the super GT. That's their passion. And to now see the signature of that going into coupes, sedans, SUVs, hybrid components, everything in there has, has a performance theme to it, starting to change. So we're, we know it's coming, it's confirmed, we're really excited. I mean, just because you could hear that performance plus on the other end of performance plus lineup, is there any world in which the three cylinder from the GR Yaris Corolla goes into the Lexus? Can't comment on that. Okay, all I'm going to say is say yes, because I drive it. It's incredible. Corolla, the GR Corolla that was unveiled last week is going to be a home run. I mean, 300 horsepower plus in that in that vehicle, that's going to be a garage probably should. Tell you this, I know many auto journalists who have never bought a new car with a positive envelope. Oh, really? Three already. I love it. <laughs> uh, and unsolicited product advice that I realize you're not the person to tell. Put that engine in IS as a medium performance base model equivalent to a twin turbo six BMW type sort of thing. That's a car right there that I would buy today. Talk to some engineers. Uh, that might have been a, that might have been in the wind at some point in some of the production calendar. Yes, the message you're right. It's already developed. And while the Yaris might not be a popular vehicle in North America, no one is blind to the actual performance of what they're going to be able to do in that car. So you can't bring the whole car over if there's not permanent plan, which I'm not saying there is or isn't. Parts of it can come. So Lexus had and the, the GR Yaris is kind of like the halo car for the GR brands and that. Lexus had that Halo car first in the LFA, and it really changed the perception of what Lexus M Sport was. And I think it helped people see what the ISF was before, even though it had been out for a few years. And now that's really changed excitement for future Lexus products. And the GR Corolla and the RS have changed excitement for future performance products. So, with this potential new GT3 car, potentially coming from the road car, do you think that could be another pillar of that? Maybe not specifically the LFA, but a pillar of moving the brand forward towards the yeah. direction. Yeah, I think the industry, enthusiasts, current owners, all of the above, everyone, whether they're Lexus or not, they're, they're, they're asking what's next. We had this incredible car that we built 500 of by hand that is a unicorn amongst all the other exotics. At the dealership the other night, people had seen one. They met, many of them hadn't heard what fired up, so we fired up and tweaked it. There is something that we need to have that is a successor to that. Same token, the ISF and GSF owners know that there's really currently nothing that is planned as a, as a successor to those. There's a gap between that LFA and that, and that 
ISGS RCF platform. These bars have the potential to, to take spacing. So I'm kind of I'm kind of filling in the gaps here. I understand you can't answer this, but uh, the LFA was direct competitor to the SLS AMG, even though it was much lower production and more expensive. The SLS was directly replaced by something that was above the old SL but below the SLS in the AMG PT, and that has been a wildly successful product. And it sure seems like while the LC500 is more on the GT side, there's more of a performance side spot for a product in that range uh, where there could be electricity. The LC is a touring car, it's equipped with a balanced 58 distribution. Rumors are there is design and study for the LCF. Um, managing powertrain, they've looked at that, that's not a feasible study for us. There is something closer to the model we designed that we might fall into that. We studied it, studied closely, but have you seen a change in like customer base ever since Lexus started integrating into the racing industry? We're seeing, I can't, yeah, I want to say yes, but I can't confirm that numbers. What I can confirm is the consideration of Lexus as a performance brand. Intent to purchase or consider purchasing a Lexus when in market for a performance vehicle and respect for the brand as a performance vehicle. All of those three metrics are increasing exponentially. Three, three to four times we're going to see the UV blind data pulse of a company called SRI. They're not, they're not wearing Lexus, they're walking around, they're talking to anybody and everybody that's getting to give them a few minutes of their time. And they ask what their opinion of the brand is. If they spent time on our activation learning about the brand, the numbers are all spiking up. And again, we win on the weekends or we put the car on the podium, it gets the attention of people who are not has that car, or my wife drives that car, or yeah, we build, we build ES, we build IS, we build all the things, but ES and RS, we do it for everything. But that performance piece, people didn't realize RC was in the car with 53 for all the Is it like, is your target demographic gotten like younger, would you say, or is it more as in like more passionate car people? Uh, yes, well, Gen Z though is even outside of the performance brand, all across our model lineup, we are seeing the, uh, the consideration amongst Gen Z and, and the, younger, the younger demographic is spiking to our favor. Even outside of the automotive industry, though, we're being viewed as uh, someone with high interest and in, in consideration of what Lexus is doing as a brand and how we're reaching them. Um, I think that's fantastic. And this is kind of outside the scope of automotive, but there's this luxury product business for both BMW and Porsche nineties. Lexus is just on the border of that game and things like the Escondido dealership really pushed the idea of Lexus as a luxury brand rather than a car brand. Do you think that that's also advancing on that same path? That's a good question. Um, it can't hurt. When we come into town, 12, 12 different cities on the IMSA circuit, we're getting more and more of our dealers saying, hey, I've got customers that want tickets to the race with me for. I mean, we'll leave tickets at the gate for anybody now. Every race, even the smallest races in the middle of Ohio in May, are some of our largest attended races by people who are already on this and who have come out for the first time and see an IMSA race and see Lexus. So, and we get dealers like us to do and ask for us to bring the team out and show up at the end. They don't realize it. They don't realize how close they get to the product and the team. And that's, that's that almost an option gate for us. It's exceeding customer expectations. This is, this is just another great way of an Oculus challenge all of us. 
to be more community based. Grassroots would be right in the same bucket. It's 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 community. The few things that, that have been untraditional for lessons, right? It's wine is usually great in the old the old age of, of luxury buyers, but that's not that's not people younger than I won't say you guys, but younger than you guys, but maybe younger than me. Who who how are who and how are we attracting? What is it? Well it's it's something we've never done in the US. Racing I uh, thing that comes to mind in ten years, you've gone from the SC four thirty having a Pebble Beach edition yeah. to the LC five hundred getting potentially an app and having that feasibility study done. That's just the brand change. There is uh, without losing the core product, without the RX losing any ground, without especially the LS oddly seems to be consistently strong full size sedan like it's too guard. Yeah. Uh, it's very impressive to me that that performance has been built without losing what made Lexus and what's been true. We're, we've sold cars to four generations of people. In the 30 plus years that we've been in business, we need to be selling not just to the fifth, fourth, and the fifth, but looking at the sixth. And that's how we get into partnerships with somebody like 100 Thieves. What does the gaming community have to do with a luxury partner, <laughs> especially one that people sometimes may associate with baby boomers? It means everything because I have, I have a 12 year old son at home who lives online. And I told him, like, hey, I'm going to go to the cruise with you. We're going to take her out for a game. He's like, Dad, can I get off plane? Can I come see you? That's what we build the excitement. Or if a kid is buying you ice cream, I had a Ferrari Testarossa poster, right? Why not one of these posters on my son's wall? Like somebody, we can do that. All it says with the parents is planning that seed to do the right things, just testing things, different, different outcomes. Are, are there any future initiatives that people should be on the lookout for, like this version? right now is, is focus on winning championship, hopefully GP and GP Pro class. I think we're able to come home with the trophy and put that on display and we're, our dealers can be able to brag about beating all of us, you know, 11 other, 12 other OEMs that are all luxury brands we've been racing for years. I think that helps give them a very easy selling tool on why buy this car versus a non-Lexus car. I think that's, that alone is, is key initiative for us presently. For the future and for the development, Successor to the RCF GP3, something close to the Tokyo Salon car that you saw, we're going to be pretty happy. A lot of heads turning in the next few years. Absolutely. Uh, that'll probably debut as a race car in 2024. Toes and fingers crossed, yes. Testing before that. <laughs>